Hello fellow RVers and welcome to episode four of the RV Connects. It is Melina and Dan back again. Today we are going to talk about the basics of boondocking, what it is, where to do it, some of the etiquette involved, and stay tuned at the end of the episode when we have our campground review of our recent stay at Bronte Creek Provincial Park. So after last week's episode on our five best travel apps, we did mention boondocking. I got a text not long after that episode came out from our friend Jason asking if I could please explain what boondocking was. And after mentioning that to a few people, it turned out there was more than one person a little confused by the concept of boondocking, or at least what we were referring to. So we decided to change our episode schedule a little bit and slide this one in there so that we could address the issue. What is the definition of boondocking? So boondocking is when you don't have power and you don't have water and you decide to camp probably in a parking lot, maybe at a Walmart, Cabela's, Bass Pro Shops truck stop, somewhere like that. If you've ever driven down the road and it's seven o'clock at night and you see an RV in the back of the parking lot, there's a good chance that that person is probably boondocking. Boondocking can mean out in the boonies, which is literally in the middle of nowhere. But usually, and when you hear us talk about it, it's going to be referred to blacktop boondocking, which is essentially parking lot boondocking. So not to be confused with what we call dry camping or free camping. When you're using crown land or a national park, say that doesn't have services and you are literally camping dry, which means you don't have access to like freshwater hookups and dump stations and things like that. With those options, particularly crown land in Canada or what's called BLM lands in the United States, which is the Bureau of Land Management, It's basically just land owned by the government that you can go and you can camp on for free. In Canada and in Ontario particularly, we have a lot of crown land. So 87% of Ontario is actually crown land, which kind of blew my mind when I thought about it. But when you think about the size of our country and the resources in our country, it kind of makes sense. But for crown land camping in Canada, if you're a Canadian resident or you've lived here at least seven out of the last 12 months, you can actually camp on crown land for free on one site for up to 21 days each year. If you're a non-resident, there's a nominal fee for crown land camping of about $10.50 a night, give or take taxes included. So if you are looking at that type of option, which is certainly an option with an RV, you have to be aware of a few things. And one is that Crown Land is often really remote, i.e. very hard to get to if you're towing something and it's not maintained. So if that's something that you want to do or you're interested in, I would suggest that you do your research well in advance. There is a very rudimentary mapping system online that can help you find Crown Land camping opportunities, which I will put the link to that in the show notes. If you do want to do some of that south of the border, and I know when we were in Utah, we saw a couple of really cool sites that you could do that in. Down there, it's called dispersed camping. So if you roll up to any sort of park office or visitor center and say you want to boondock, they're going to look at you like you have a toaster on your head, but it's called dispersed camping in the United States. So that said, that kind of covers what we would call dry camping or free camping. But when we talk about boondocking the way Dan previously described it, we're parking in a park parking lot on our way somewhere overnight. So with that said, do we want to talk about the basics of boondocking? Yeah. So, you know, dry camping connects you with nature 
and I think that boondocking connects you with your urban environment, and I don't think you want to spend two weeks boondocking, but I will tell you that, hey, life is what you make of it, and you can see some really interesting things and do some good people watching while you're boondocking. So when do you want to use it? We tend to use it when we have a long travel day, and we're going to push through maybe dinner time, and we just need a spot to get a quick sleep, and we're going to be back on the road first thing again in the morning. Probably what I would say is you're going to use it when you're not going to have the opportunity to avail yourself of the services and facilities of an RV park. So why drop 50 or 80 bucks on a 12-hour sleep? Why do you want to use it? You know, I think that using boondocking probably is a matter of convenience. Chances are you're going to be parked either near groceries, which you might need, or you're going to be parked near gasoline, diesel, or you're going to be parked near both. So I think that's probably why you would use it. Where to use it? You could stay at a Walmart parking lot. You can stay at truck stops. Some restaurants like Cracker Barrels have spots for that. I think that each of them has their own pros and cons. And so I think you just have to decide what it is you need and what you're trying to achieve. And then you can make a decision about where you want to go. And a note on that, a lot of rest stops, particularly south of the border, will allow you to stay overnight and rest stops being like a rudimentary stop where you can pull off the highway and you have, you know, a bathroom and some vending machines and like a park area with some picnic benches if you want to have a picnic. But I think that I would boondock there kind of as a last resort if you really need to get some shut eye. But there's generally, particularly south of the border for those Canadians who haven't traveled down there yet, the rest stops don't have gas, they don't have restaurants there's usually not a lot nearby so you're kind of out in the middle of nowhere so I think for us it's definitely more beneficial or kind of jives with the way we travel a little bit better to kind of tick some of those boxes off like gas and showers and food instead of staying at a rest stop but if worse comes to worse and it's the middle of the night and you have to get some shut eye for safety reasons then by all means pull off and and grab a, a bit of shut eye at a rest stop yep so there's some etiquette to boondocking the first one is get permission you know I think YouTube is littered with with examples of people that have gotten kicked out of a parking lot at 3 a.m. because they didn't clear it. And so getting permission is really easy. It's a matter of phoning ahead to a specific restaurant or store that says that they offer it and just confirming it with the manager and then going inside even if you need to when you get there and just double checking that where you are is okay, where you parked is okay with them. Second thing I would say is be a customer. So yeah, you're trying to save a bit of money, but listen, get your gas there, get your groceries there, grab a cup of coffee, maybe a small meal, be a customer because that's why they're offering it. So you won't make sure you want to represent the RV community well. Park away from other cars, you know, park with the other RVs. So first of all, don't be a nuisance by clogging up a parking spot at the front of the store. Park at the back, you'll appreciate that more because it's probably a little bit quieter. And park with other RVs because, hey, I know that right now there's a husband and wife somewhere out there having a conversation about how safe is it. Parking with other people makes it more safe. Mm -hmm. Use your slide out wisely. If you're going to put your slide out, out, be conscious that you're not putting it into a lane of traffic through the parking lot or taking up yet another parking spot. So position your trailer or your RV as much as you can that you're sliding your slide out over grass or over a curb, for example, and not into traffic, not into another parking spot. With all of that being said, just slide it out enough for you to get in and out or get past whatever the slide out blocks you from getting to. It doesn't need to go all the way out, just enough to get get past. Because remember, most of the time that that slide out is out, you're probably going to be asleep anyways. Mm -hmm. So for our trailer... 
you have to put the slide out, out at least six or seven inches for the girls to be able to get to their bedroom at the back. Some models, you might not even have to put the slide out in order to do that. I think just being really mindful of that and particularly as Dan said, not taking up an additional space. We have rolled by places where we wanted to boondock and the spots are absolutely full. Like you will get in the busy season, a short supply of places to boondock in very popular areas. So if you have a slide out, you're basically effectively taking an opportunity for another boondocker away. Yep. So a couple other things I would say to keep in mind, only stay one night and don't put out your awning and your lawn chairs and your barbecue and, and all of those things. Because when you do that, that's not boondocking, that's called squatting. And if you have time to put all that out, you have time to go to a proper RV park. Don't blast your generators. Maybe you're in a, a more quiet neighborhood. Maybe you're near a hotel. So you don't really don't want to disturb everyone else around you. So if you have a loud generator that's outside the trailer, that's probably not a good idea. But that's not to say that I haven't <laughs> run the generator, hey, during dusk or early evening to get things cooled down at a truck stop too. That's a super good example because we did stop at a Cracker Barrel in Kansas and it was the hottest night in history and it was a great place fairly quiet but the back of the parking lot of the Cracker Barrel actually met up with the windows of a hotel so we did use the generator when we got there in the early evening just to try to get things cool but it was definitely one of those nights where we talked about in our best apps episode episode number three check it out if you haven't where we talked about maybe sometimes it's better to throw down 20 or 30 dollars and find a paid site near the interstate that's got power because let me tell you folks I was out in the middle of that parking lot in my pajamas at three o'clock in the morning trying to catch a breeze. So weather can possibly play a factor in that unless you have access to power. Right. And some of you are going to have nice quiet generators that built into your rig and that's probably not a problem, but be thoughtful as you're going down the highway, whether it's a heat wave or something like that. The other thing I would say is don't be afraid to look for power sources. So we pulled into a Flying J one time. We stayed in the RV designated parking, woke up and the people beside us asked if our power went out last night. And it turned out that we had parked beside a pole that had power on it you know a regular you know light light in the standard mi- yeah. light standard in the middle of the parking lot had power in it and we could have had power so take a look at the light standards and perhaps there's power that you can connect into my other word of advice is if you're going to a truck stop park in the rv parking rvs stay with rvs and trucks stay with trucks. Mm -hmm. Truck drivers have a hard enough time finding a spot to park their truck. You don't need to go take one of their spots. The other thing I would tell you is that if you park beside a truck in a truck stop, they're loud. They're going to run that engine all night long and you're not going to sleep as well. So if you stay on your side of the yard and they stay on their side of the yard, everybody will be happy and everybody will get along just fine. So that's the etiquette for boondocking or blacktop boondocking in a parking lot, however you want to put it. It's definitely something that has changed the way we travel as weekend warriors or part-time RVers. It really has allowed us to see a lot of the continent. Whatever qualms or whatever fears you have about it, there is tons of information online. You've got trustworthy reviews from people like us who have kind of worked it into the way they travel. And it's really opened up a ton of doors for us to be able to go further when we have vacation from work. And I think that's something that's so important. There's so many amazing things to see in North America, you know, really cutting down on some of that time so you can make tracks and kind of get across the country is really, really helpful. So I fully endorse it. And I think I mentioned on the last episode, it was something that I was super nervous about before we had done it for the first time, but it's a really, really good thing to think about if you wanna see more than a 10 hour radius around where you live. Yeah? Absolutely, yeah. 
Okay, so we've almost come to the end of our episode and we have rounded up our thoughts about our recent stay at Bronte Creek Provincial Park, which I would say was probably one of our more unexpected provincial parks that we've stayed at, meaning it was totally not what we expected it to be, but in a very, very good way. It was a really nice, pleasant surprise, I think. Yeah. Oh, totally. And for those of you who kind of aren't from southwestern Ontario or haven't traveled here a lot, Bronte Creek is a provincial park and it's basically located smack dab in the middle of the city on the western edge of Oakville, which kind of borders Burlington, Ontario. And it's almost a six and a half square kilometer park. You know, it's something that you kind of drive past and kind of think, "Eh, who would camp there, right? Like, don't people know that nature exists type of thing? And this is coming from two people who lived in the GTA. We just kind of, we, we lived there and kind of had never stayed there, just kind of having the the same thoughts about it. But it's a really fantastic park to stay, great for families, a lot of activities. There's 144 sites there, most of which have electric hookup. Uh, There's four campground loops. There's four group sites that each fit up to 25 people. There's three yurts. The campground side of the park has two comfort stations and the day use area has nine comfort stations. The day use area pretty much dwarfs the campground area in size, I would say. One thing to be aware of is that the day use park and the campground side are kind of separated by a massive ravine that goes down to Bronte Creek and it's 115 feet deep. So there's really no good way to get from the campground side to the day use side on foot or on bike. So if you want to visit the day use side and you're camping at Bronte Creek Provincial Park, you kind of have to get in your car and you have to go on the highway and go down one exit and then get off and go around to the day use side. So that's something we spent the better part of a day trying to figure out how to get down to the creek and we couldn't do that until we went to the day use side. But that being said, there's five different trails that total about 10 kilometers in different hiking trails and biking trails. There is a children's farm and activity center there. There is a uh, Victorian farmhouse, the Spruce Lane Farmhouse, which is a museum. And in the operating season, they have costumed interpreters. Now, a lot of those activities aren't running right now because of COVID, but we certainly went through the day use area and were able to see some of these sites. We walked around the farmhouse. We were able to use the trails. They have one of Canada's largest swimming pools. It's a 1.8 acre pool and it's kind of shaped like a pond. It's really cool, actually. It's it's zero entry and it kind of just gradually goes down like if you were walking into a pond and the depth in the middle is six feet. Uh, you do have to pay a user fee to visit the pool, even if you are camping, but it is a nominal fee. I think it's like $4 for an adult and $2 for a child or something like that. And there's also, there's an 18 hole disc golf course there, which is kind of cool, like Frisbee golf. Uh, So there's a lot of cool activities to do. They have a ton of events. They run a maple syrup festival every March. There's ghost walks in August at the Spruce Lane Farmhouse, which was kind of cool and kind of creepy because it's right next to the Half Moon Trail. And in the day use area of the park and the ravine, they actually allow you to scatter ashes if that's your jam. So it would be kind of a cool place to do a ghost walk during the summer. There's a harvest festival every September. They do a campground Halloween in October. And of course they have a Victorian Christmas set up at the museum as well. So there is a ton to do for families who want to explore the history of the area and the agriculture and whatnot. As far as the campground itself, what do you think, Dan? I think it was a great place. I think that 
if you want to explore Toronto and Niagara Falls and you're looking for a base camp, it's a great spot to be. I think that if you want to ride your bike or get out for a run on a few trails that are nice and easily groomed and get some exercise, it's a great place to be. First impressions driving in, I think the roads are nice and smooth. The campsites are pretty spacious. I'd say they're angled in a really good fashion, so it makes easy to back up. I backed in in one shot, which has never happened. So really easy entry for for RV sites. And I think just riding around, I think most of the campsites look pretty level, reasonably good privacy. Listen, if you want shade, there's some shaded sites. If you want a nice big sunny site, there's some sunny sites. So I think there's a little bit of something for everybody. I don't think we were too far from a water tap, which meant we could kind of just top off with the water jug into the fresh water. From a practical standpoint, I would say as you you depart the park the dump station and the filling station for fresh water are both in line with each other so it's only one dump station only one filling station so if somebody is filling water in front of you and you've just finished dumping you're going to have to wait for them to finish before you can move on but hey like we told you in our previous episode don't be in a rush at the dump station or when you fill and somebody's dumping you'd have to wait before you can go in and fill but really listen I went there a couple of times to dump the lugaloo the honey wagon and I didn't run into anybody so it never caught that's a problem, I don't think. Right. But when you go in to camp, you're kind of basically doing a U-turn and you're exiting the park to fill up. And then you have to do another U-turn and come back into the park to make it to your site. So that's just something to be aware of. I mean, the corners were tight, but they weren't they weren't inaccessible by a, a larger RV by any stretch. Oh, yeah. And I think the other thing I would tell you is, listen, at the dump station, they have your normal hose there for rinsing things off. They also have a connector for you to connect up to your Blackwater flush out if that's what you have on your rig. But you do have to provide your own hose for that. So from a practical aspect, I thought this was a pretty well laid out park and probably a good spot you know, just to get started, especially if you don't have a ton of experience and you don't want to go too far from home in the GTA. Mm -hmm. For when we went to visit, you know, obviously we're in the midst of COVID still, but they actually had every second campsite, give or take, was blocked off or not available to reserve in, not in every area of the the park, but certainly in areas where the campsites were a little bit closer together, just to keep people separated and, and practice some of that social distancing, which I thought was great. But if you do want to go this year in 2020, keep in mind that, you know, close to half of the sites aren't going to be available at this time and one other thing I noted as we were going around and riding our bikes which we thought was cool given the age of our kids but in the 300 loop uh, you have a lot of sites that back onto the ravine trail and let me tell you this ravine is steep it is like straight down steep so if you have smaller kids or animals that wander you probably might want to choose a different loop or just beware of the fact that at the back of those campgrounds you do go right onto the ravine trail and it is a quite a steep drop so that was one thing I just noticed from a mother's perspective. Yeah, so that was Brawny Creek. I think it. I would definitely return. Yeah, I think it makes you think differently about how you can use your RV. We've talked about road trips. We've talked about weekend trips. We've talked about your typical nature camping. This is the first time we've probably used it to go into the city to do something, to cut down on commute time, save on hotel costs. And, and the whole reason we were down there is our youngest daughter was in a goalie camp. And this really made that whole experience a whole lot easier and more enjoyable for everybody. It really did. It was fantastic. And even being in the middle of the city, we were kind of in the middle of the meteor shower that went on earlier this month. And we managed, well, 
I didn't manage to see any because I somehow happened to be looking in the wrong direction every single time there was a meteor. But Dan and the girls certainly saw a number of meteors in the sky, which we didn't think we would be able to being kind of in the midst of the city with all of that ambient light. So that was kind of cool too. And that is our review of Bronte Creek Provincial Park. I will put links in the show notes to all of the things we've talked about, all of the reservation sites. And of course, we'll do our campground review and write-up of Bronte Creek where you can see some images and some other amenities of the park. Last episode, we did say that we were going to answer our listener question on solar power. However, we decided to move that to next week's episode, which we are going to be focusing on a really good walkthrough of your trailer. So if you have just bought a trailer new or you've bought it used and didn't quite get a great walkthrough, we're gonna kind of look at some of the basic things, the basic operating systems of your trailers or your RVs and kind of how to navigate them. You're gonna learn from our mistakes, folks. You're gonna (laughs) learn from our mistakes. For sure. So I think it kind of fits a little bit better to put that solar power, tag that onto that conversation. So we are going to move that to episode five next week. So that being said, Thanks for joining us. Again, if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe so you get notified when future episodes come out and follow us always on Instagram at RV Connects. We are going to be heading off at the end of this week for another adventure and we'll have lots of images up there and more to talk about. So thanks again for joining us. Bye. Bye folks.